Welcome back to the Power Sports Nutrition Podcast. My name is Liz Broad and I'm an accredited sports dietitian. Today I'm excited to have with us Daniel Michelle. Daniel is a boccia player and he's a two-time Paralympian. He won a bronze medal in Tokyo and he also has most recently won two gold medals at a World Cup event in Rio de Janeiro. So welcome to the podcast, Daniel. Thanks, Liz. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's great to have you. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your impairment and how you got into playing boccia? Definitely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. as you said, Daniel Michelle, I'm a, I'm a boccia player. I'm 26 years old. I was born with a disability uh, called spinal muscular atrophy. Um, what that basically means is I'm missing a gene that produces a protein that allows my neurons to fire and activate my muscles. So as a result, I don't have that communication and my muscles don't get the innovation they require and as a result of that I'm, I'm um, left needing a trick wheelchair to get around so that makes me a perfect candidate for the sport of watch which I discovered uh, when I was 15 years old at a common Friday that was being run by a sort of a combination of watch New South Wales and muscular dystrophy New South Wales I was actually at a camp mm-hmm. from muscular dystrophy New South Wales and um, one of the activities at this camp was was this sport called boccia, which I'd never heard of before as a 15-year-old. And initially, I was very skeptical because I had tried some some sports in the past uh, that were supposedly for people with disabilities, but they never were for people with my extent of disability. So initially, I thought it would just be another one of those sports, but for some reason, I decided to go along and and, and give it a go. And so luckily, I did because I quickly discovered that uh, it was in fact the perfect sport for me. And kind of from that day on, I um, sort of had loved sport my whole life and kind of really just fell in love with it from the get-go and just was so happy to finally have an outlet for me to, to be able to, to play sport. Yeah, yeah, because uh, that's that's unusual that you hadn't heard about it until you were 15. So can you explain more about your spinal muscular atrophy? Apart from the actual muscles that we normally think of that make us move and and hold a cup and and walk and those sorts of things does it impact on other muscles like your breathing swallowing any other muscles yes it actually affects the entire skeletal muscle group so for people not you know aware of maybe biology and anatomy it's it's the muscles generally that are associated with doing things so with as you say with with moving to arms legs and then my tongue also, and some of the muscles around my ribs, which which do affect, you know, uh, help with breathing. But I'm lucky that yep. all of the smooth muscles, which include, um, you know, organ-related muscles and muscles that are innervated from other nerve groups like the diaphragm, are not affected. So I'm, I'm unfortunate in that regard. But yeah, it definitely does affect my eating ability, and um, that's yeah, I have to be, um, you know, pretty careful around that. Okay, well, we'll talk about that in a little while. I want to talk about boccia first. How would you describe boccia to the uninitiated? Yeah, good question. So boccia, <laughs> I, I kind of don't like to make the comparison to lawn bowls because I think that it turns some people away immediately. But it, mm. for all intents and purposes, it's kind of like a cross between bowls and, and like snooker as well. There's a lot of snooker sort of related strategy and aspect to it so mm-hmm. you use six colored balls red and blue one player uses red the other player uses blue and we have a jack uh, a white ball that, that is the target ball for the game 
and the objective is to try and land your balls as close as possible to that jack, uh, and you get points by being closer than your opponent. So similar scoring as balls. The balls are slightly different, so they're uh, slightly larger than a tennis ball in size, uh, and they mm-hmm. come in a range of softnesses. So they come from being very soft, which are good balls for long up to the target, and then there's all the way through to really hard balls, like sort of the hardness of like a cricket ball, which are really good for knocking balls out the way. So, and then everything in between. So there's a mixture of strategies and shots that you can play in the game, and it's it's quite dynamic. Mm. And so do you bowl the ball with your arm, or how do you actually deliver the ball to sure. the jack? Yeah, so there's four classifications within the sport. Some of the, some of the classifications are for people who can throw the ball, and then my classification, BC3, is for people who can't throw the ball. So we use a ramp to play, which they look pretty um, pretty cool. It's just like a, you know, a ramp that the ball would roll down, uh, and we have an assistant on the court with us who orients the ramp for us, puts the ball on the ramp where we ask for it to be put on, and that's how we play. So, yeah, you can do both. But obviously, within your classification, you only play other people within your classification. So... For me, it's BC3, and I play against other people who use ramps. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so what would a typical training week look like for you? Yeah, so for me, look, I train now um, probably a little bit less night than I used to when I was sort of really trying to build that foundation of, of skill and, and just knowledge about the game. So nowadays, I generally train four days a week, probably anywhere from two to four hours a day. Yeah, two to four hours a day, and uh, that's kind of, Across a couple of venues, we do some. Tra- I do some training with the, my other teammates who are also probably should have actually mentioned that too. You can also play in pairs and teams, so there's a one-on-one aspect, and then there's also a two-on-two and a three-on-three. So within my classification, we have individuals and we also have pairs, so two-on-two. So um, I I sometimes get probably two days a week train with my pairs partners, and then the other two days do individual work. So that's that's nowadays where a week looks like. Probably five years ago, I was I was <laughs> training more like five or six days a week for six to eight hours a day. So I'm, I'm glad I'm not doing that anymore, that's for sure. But it was all, um, it was all very important to get to it. Yep. And so how do you get to and from training? Do you drive your own vehicle? Do you have to get someone else to drive you? Yeah, so Ashley is my uh, rep operator. So as I mentioned, we have an assistant on the court with us. So she's at training with me uh, all the time. So she, we, we work together. We've been working together since 2013. So we, we train mm-hmm. full-time together. And, yeah, she, she picks me up in my own car, uh, a wheelchair-accessible car, but I can't drive it. So she picks me up in the car and, and we go off to training together. That's been a really important relationship as well in, in my success. Yeah, for sure. I'm sure you rely very heavily on her just to be able to do your sport. No doubt. Yeah, I mean, this is the reason why... The ramp operator also gets a medal when I win a medal because it's just acknowledgement of, of you know, how tight the relationship is and how important it is. So, yeah, me and Ashley, we've been together for, for, for yeah, nearly 10 years and travelled all over the world together, mm. trained together, and really tight And she's definitely been instrumental in my And how did you find her? Yeah, so actually it was it was a strange story. Um, it, it, it kind of was one of those meant-to-be type of moments where... I, I had just been selected into the Australian Junior Paralympic Preparation Program, it was called, for, uh, for Rio. Uh, this was in early 2013. And uh, at the time, I'd only been playing the sport for maybe a year. 
I've probably known about it for a year and a half and only been really seriously playing for about a year. And during that time, my mum was my, was my ramp operator as what was pretty much customary in Botcha was that usually a family member would be the assistant because it just kind of made sense. Like it was uh, the closest relationship to the player and, you know, they were living, probably living with their parents and, and it just made the most sense. So mum started doing it initially, but, you know, we both... Neither of us really wanted that to be a long-term thing. Yeah, my mum always wanted me to, to be working, and I, I obviously wanted to, to kind of be independent as well in that regard. So we spent a lot of time trying to find somebody to take over the job. And one of the days my mum was at her work, she worked for a, a disability service called Silvervale and there was a physio there. And she was talking to one of the managers at one of the group homes. And on this particular day, Ashley had just returned from Canada. She'd been in Canada for six months during a ski season over there. And it was her first day back at work and she already left. As she said, uh, you know, something told her, oh, you know, I need to go back inside and say goodbye to, to Sue, the manager. Um, so she turned around and went back inside just the moment my mum was talking to Sue. And um, that was when my mum met Ashley and we realised straight away how, how great that could be as a as a partnership. And, yeah, we, we just sort of took it from strength to strength from there. That was serendipitous, wasn't it? it was, yeah, it was one of those just amazing moments where, yeah, you kind of just everything ends and you wonder, yeah, if, if there is that kind of just freight aspect to it because it was very much like mm-hmm. that. <laughs> Fabulous. So can you tell us a little bit about how you eat to support your training? I, I'm imagining you said you had a little bit of difficulty with eating. Presumably that's more in the way of swallowing or is it more in the way of yeah. chewing? And, and, and so um, sort of how do you manage your food intake give us a, a picture of what a typical day of food might look like for you it's a bit yeah it, it affects both so it's, it's a swallowing and it's also a um a chewing thing so for me it just it generally takes me a lot longer to to eat than what an average person would you know i spend usually half an hour or more on, on my meals to eat just because it takes that amount of time to chew and and all of that so i've had to you know be more aware of my diet for sure i, I wouldn't say there's anything that's like ruled out entirely, but I definitely rely on softer textured foods than than maybe other people would. So, you know, for me, I generally, it, it's been a, a work in progress, my diet over the years. And I, I am generally a creature of habit, as probably you might have found with lots of other athletes. It's, I think, that's something we, we often have in common. So I do like to kind of have some sort of, some sort of, um, you know, routine when it comes to diet and generally... Uh, in the morning, I'll have a smoothie when I wake up, and that's a concoction that I've come up with myself. Quite proud of it, actually. And it tastes pretty good. So in the, um, in a banana, I've got kale. I've got, remember it now, so banana, kale, uh, walnuts, almonds, turmeric, mixed berries, chia seeds, uh, and water. Uh, blend it up. That's my morning. That's my breakfast good to go. I then, I then at lunch, I usually... I usually eat meals, so I'm not, I don't rely on things like stuff with bread. It's quite hard for me to eat. So I usually cook dinners and then have leftover stuff for lunch. So I'll, I'll make things that are usually soft, like some pastas or some, some moussaka, generally mincy kind of textured things, saucy type thing. Um, things that have a deep, mm-hmm. you know, some sort of level of carbohydrate, but obviously yeah, keeping the balance right. So that's generally what I do, and that seems to have served me quite well. Excellent. And... What about your energy needs? Have you got a rough feel for what your 
energy your caloric needs are on a day-to-day basis yeah. because yeah. I'm assuming yeah. do you get muscle spasm at all no I don't get any muscle spasm and I do love to eat so I have to make sure I eat it's more a matter of not eating too much for me because obviously weight gain for me is a bad thing um in terms of my you know, mm-hmm. my care and stuff so I generally try to eat between 13 to 1500 calories a day um usually I'm a bit over that but um that's kind of where I sit roughly and are you pretty weight stable with that? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I I've been getting a little little bit fat recently, if I do say so. Um, so I've been trying to <laughs> avoid eating because I have some um I do have some kind of some bad habits I try to break in terms of I do love eating chips. So I'm gonna stop eating chips every now and again because I'm just getting a bit fat. So I cut them out. Mm. But yeah, look, I I don't. Uh, I'm kind of from the the script of you know like. For me, eatings are really uh, enjoyable and a part of my life that I yeah I get a lot of pleasure from. Like I love cooking, I love eating, I love experimenting yeah. with different foods. So for me, it, there is some trade-off there in terms of maybe I'm not the most perfect eater, but I try yeah on on the balance of it. I try and generally maintain a good diet, but I'm not going to you know completely rule out some of those things that I really really like as well. So I try to balance it well. Yeah. And so what modifications have you made in your kitchen so that you can cook for yourself? Yeah, so I mean, not at the moment. So I'm, it's a bit funny. I'm, I'm kind of like the, 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 like the boss of, of the operation. So when my care is over uh, to cook, you know, she'll be doing all the work and I'll just be sitting there giving the instructions. So, yeah, it's great because we've got a great relationship. So it works really well, but I reckon when, when someone new came in and saw it, like they would probably think, "Oh, what's going on here? This is a bit strange." But it works well. So, um, so yeah, I usually I usually instruct and uh, and she cooks. And yeah, I, I I feel like I'm involved that way. I feel like I'm kind of directing what's happening. And and um, yeah, as I said, I really enjoy doing that. So that's a big part of my life. awesome. Yeah, that's great. And so, what are some of the biggest nutrition issues you experience? on a day-to-day basis at home do you have do you have to take supplements in order to get your your micronutrient intake up i did for a period of time so when i was younger actually before i moved out of home it was i, I was i was actually on, on supplemental stuff i was on mainly just on like on, on calorie dense meal replacement type stuff which was strange because mm-hmm. i don't know what, what changed but um i was on them for a while but then when i moved into my my new home now I think probably I um I spend more time eating probably here than when I did at home. I think when I was at home, uh, we had you know when we had dinner, it was kind of everyone was eating together, and when everyone else was finished, I kind of felt like you know it was time to stop. Um, whereas now, mm-hmm. you know, with my home, you just eat for forty five minutes like big deal for eating dinner. So I think as a product of that, I probably yeah. just eat a bit more than I used to. But yeah, no, generally now I'm I'm, I'm supplement free. I'm able to get everything I need from Whole Foods and. Yeah, I'm happy with that. Cool. And what about when you travel? Do you find it's easy to be the foods that you need or does that become an extra difficulty just in terms of the texture? Yeah, sometimes it does. Um, but I'm lucky that usually when we travel, that it's, it's usually a buffet, like lunch, buffet, dinner, and there's usually a decent range of stuff so that there is food that I can not only eat but stuff that is actually food that's good for me too food that I need to eat. So you, mm-hmm. we haven't run into too many situations where there's been, you know, a lack of a lack of options, which has been good. Yep. Uh, but it's definitely yep. something we've been, especially with the trip to Rio most recently, that was probably the most, um, I guess, poignant 
uh, example of it was just not necessarily in terms of texture, but the food um, hygiene practices, we'll call it, probably went up to Australian mm -hmm. standards and all of us got quite sick. So that wasn't great. So we're definitely, I think, as a program, going to be more aware of maybe trying to bring some of our own stuff over in future just to make to mitigate um, not only that issue, but also the issue of, yeah, you know, if, if stuff's not available, that's suitable for me. Yeah, making sure we have a backup plan for that. Yeah, yeah, and what's your plan B? Yeah, plan B, exactly. So we're looking through that now. So, yeah, well, I think we're engaging with somebody to look at options. Yeah, as I said, I only just came back, so it's 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 kind of all in, 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 uh, in progress. Cool. Okay. So what recommendations do you have for athletes who, like you, have a more substantial degree of impairment and don't necessarily fit into a lot of other para sports that are available yeah look it's tricky i guess when i first started you know i simply just didn't know that there was sport available to me and that was really that was disheartening because as i said when i was growing up i was such a, a sports mad kid like my dad was really big into sport my younger brother was really big into sport and for me not to be able to be involved uh, it was something that, yeah, it was really, really tough to reconcile with. And, you know, I think for me, what I'm really passionate about now is not only in my role as, as, as a player, but also as a as a promoter of the sport and, and really trying to make sure that there's less kids like me and that there's more, I guess, more messaging, more vision of, of sports like Boccia, sports that appeal to a more niche group of disability. So that's something I'm passionate about. And you know, we've set up a couple of clubs in the area that are, that are starting to really get some participation numbers. And I want to see more of that happen. So hopefully that's where we, where we move in the future. Fabulous. And what about any recommendations that you have for coaches or practitioners like sports dietitians or sports physiotherapists and exercise scientists? Any recommendations that you have for, for them coming from your athletic perspective? Um, well, I think my, I've got to say, my experiences have always been really, really positive. And I think with with, uh, with coaches and with, as you say, with people like nutritionists, psychologists, it's always been very positive. And I've always found that, um, you know, there's a lot of knowledge and there's a lot of things that you can really learn as an athlete from these types of people. So I'd say just, mm -hmm. you know, keep doing what you're doing because, yeah, it's really it's really important for for athletes probably understand the value of, of, of these you know one percenters you might call them that really allow them to to be their best on the court. So yeah, just keep trying to keep trying to influence athletes in the right direction and and, and be that kind of um, influence that that might help them achieve yeah you know, a bit more than what they would otherwise. Yeah. No, it's a great message. And do you find that that you had to teach them a fair bit about yourself when you first saw them? Like because your impairment is fairly rare, or your genetic condition is fairly rare. Did yeah. you have to do a lot of teaching to for them to understand exactly what your limitations were and and what your capabilities were more so than anything? Yeah, yeah, to an extent for sure, and and more so with probably with physio and, and stuff than even um, the nutritionist side of things. But, yeah, I guess in, in some ways for sure, just because, yeah, as you say, it is a rare, it's a rare condition. And, but I think there's a lot of carryover as well from other conditions. So there's not too much nuance to it in that, you know, there's really 
specific things that you need to look out for or do differently to, to maybe other cases. So it's generally been um, a pretty easy experience, I'd say. Great. I'm glad that's the case. Yeah. Wow, Daniel, you've had quite the journey, haven't you, from being 15 and not knowing about the sport to now being a world leader in your sport. Have you got anything that you reflect on that you feel like you've learnt a lot over that time? Yeah, lots of things, uh, lots of things. I think for me, probably one thing that I've really started to appreciate, not only recently, but you know, throughout the last few years, is just how great sport is as a metaphor for, for life in general and kind of the things that you that you learn about yourself on the field of play that can really teach you and inform you a lot about kind of your character, how you respond to, to different things, your level of resilience. And, and for me, you know, it's, it's always amazing to see just how much you're capable of and sport really teaches you that. And, you know, it teaches you that as you train and as you commit yourself to, to being a better athlete and to a better person, you know, that you can actually grow and, and really do some pretty incredible things that maybe you didn't think you were capable of doing. So that's been something that's definitely hit home. And, yeah, it's definitely just taught me a lot about who I am and um, and what I can do. And and it gives me a lot of, I guess, satisfaction and confidence about, about, about that. Mm, fabulous. Well, Daniel, one last question. What's your favourite food? Gee, oh, I can't believe this question came up. Oh, wow. Look, as I said, there's, there's so much food that I really love. But I reckon, you know, probably if you had to, if, if it came down to, you know, last meal, man, I, I reckon it, the short list, it would definitely have some sort of pasta on there, like maybe a carbonara pasta. I do love carbonara pasta. I do like, like a really authentic spaghetti bolognese as well. I'm a sucker for Italian food. I, I make a lot of Italian food. Like, really <laughs> like but, yeah, I mean, lots of other things too. Like, I love Massaman curry as well. That would be a big one. Uh, a nice Massaman curry. Or, or some spring rolls. I like spring rolls. Yeah. There's a lot. If you don't want those, don't want those. And maybe a packet of chips on the side. Packet of chips. Yeah, you have to have the packet of chips there too. Probably, I reckon, the uh, <laughs> red... Uh, Honey soy chicken chips am I my go-to, so, yeah. Fair enough. Well, thank you so much for your time, Daniel. We really appreciate it. It's been lovely to meet you and to get to know a little bit about you. And certainly we look forward to seeing some great things to come as you continue to trailblaze in your area. And, yeah, we wish you all the best. Thanks so much, Liz. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Really like how Daniel... Is so actively involved in how his food preparation is undertaken and what he eats on a day-to-day basis. I also think it's great that he is so actively involved in supporting other individuals with quite severe impairments to get involved in sport and particularly in the sport of boccia. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I realised the sound quality was a little mixed, but I thought it was very important to continue and make sure that this podcast was still published. Please join us next time when we talk to Alois Rosario, who is a para-table tennis coach.